0: Please find your seats. And as you find your seats, will you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We've made it. We are at the very last uh, sermon in this series in 1 Peter. Let me thank you wholeheartedly uh, for journeying with me uh, through this incredible book. Uh, once again, as, as the one that God has given the privilege to be the tour guide, it's usually the tour guide who learns the most, uh, who uh, needs to learn the most. And I want to thank each of you who have been here for part or all of this journey. And my hope and prayer as your pastor um, that you have been touched by God and His Word and, and like me, have been grown in Christ's likeness uh, through this incredible text. We have one verse today, 1 Peter 5. We're going to look at 11 and a couple of other uh, verses around that. But let me ask you a question. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Good Thanksgiving. Anybody here eat too much? I'm going to keep this button probably today so you can't tell, but I did eat too much as well. But it's a great time of year. It's phenomenal. Uh, Just to get away uh, from the daily routine, I think back to the Bible. It often tells us that we should set aside a day of feasting, a day of remembrance, a day that we look forward to, that when Jesus comes, we'll have eternal rest with Him and we'll have the ultimate feast with Him. But let's be honest with one another. Uh, We didn't have that ultimate feast this last Thursday uh, for several different reasons. And for us, it was a great joy. I mean, Thanksgiving was awesome because my family was able to come and my sister Allison, who many of you have prayed for. Can you raise your hand, Allison? Doesn't know I'm doing it. She's here from Tallahassee. She's battled cancer this year. And so it's been such a joy for us to be thankful for her life specifically and uh, just be thankful that God had her with us. But let's be honest, sometimes Thanksgiving is not always easy. And sometimes when you bring in the in-laws and you bring in the outlaws and you, you bring in the whole clan and some neighbors and friends and family, sometimes it's hard because sometimes it's hard to know who is the hefe. I mean... <laughs> I, who's the leader? I mean, who's the boss? I mean, who has the, the reign? Who is the, the resident authority, if you will? You know, I mean, does it, does it go to the oldest? Uh, does it go to the oldest male? Does it go to the homeowner? I mean, who is the one in charge? Who is the jefe? Who is the one that's going to make the decisions, carve the turkey, and basically steer the conversation? You see, there's a struggle with that resonant authority, because that word, interesting, resonant authority or resonant power is everything that we're going to talk about this morning. It's called dominion. Who has the rule? Who has the right to reign? Who has the right to rule? Who has the dominion over your household, over your life, over all that you are? You see, as Christians, we should not have this wrestle. It should be abundantly clear that we serve King Jesus. That Jesus who's coming, we're going to celebrate His birth in a manger, is meek and lowly and mild. Yes, He is all those things, but He still is, always was, and always will be, good news, King of kings and Lord of lords. And because of who Jesus is, and because of what Jesus has done, He should have full, complete, total dominion, total reign, total rule, total control, total say over all of our lives. Not just a compartment of our lives not just a piece of our lives, but He should have complete dominion over all that we are and all that we have. But ever since man rebelled, you see, God has created us to be under authority. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But ever since man rebelled, rebelled in paradise, Adam and Eve rebelled in sin, ever since that time, there's been this struggle that each one of us has, each one of us enters into, this struggle with who is in control. This struggle with who has dominion. You see, man made in God's image to be, have a relationship with him unbelievably rebelled, saying, I want control. I want dominion. Meyamo hefe. I am the boss. I want control of all things in my life. And oftentimes, God's hands off. At the very end of Peter's letter, he's going to remind us of who should have control. Let's look at God's holy and word together into this doxology, into this praise. Um, we're going to look at 1 Peter 5.11. We're going to, skip, to 1 Peter, skip back to 1 Peter 4.11, another doxology, and then skip forward to Romans 1, verses 5 and 6. But remember, no matter we find ourselves in Peter, Revelation, Genesis, Isaiah, wherever, it's God's holy and word, and he's given, us, given it to us to tell us about who He is and who we are in His image. Let us read together. To Him, who is Him. We'll look in verse 10. The God of all grace in Christ. To Him, be dominion. This resonant power, this authority. To Him, be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Turn back a page to 1 Peter 4.11. And it tells us, Peter says another uh, doxology, he says it this way, "...whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies." So listen. "...so that in all things..." So that everything we do, "...so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs..." "...to whom belongs..." Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And let's look at one more Revelation chapter 1. John is writing at this vision of uh, Patmos, God's inerrant word inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he says in 1 5b, This to him who loves us, isn't that great? To Him who loves us. That's our God. To Him who loves us and who releases us from our sins by His blood and has made us to be a kingdom. He's made us to be a kingdom. Priest to His God and Father. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray together. Oh, Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege that you have given to us to journey together through your holy word found here in 1 Peter. And Father, we come to the reality again today that we need to hear from you. We need to understand what you have for us and for our lives God, we need to confess afresh that we don't get it or we often live our lives like we don't get it. And God, so therefore we need to have you come and speak and speak boldly, speak clearly, speak tenderly so that your servants, your sons and daughters can hear. God, we ask even in the beginning of this uh, sermon, be gracious to us because we're sinful. Because often what we say is not what we do. And Father, we still are wrestling over dominion and rule and reign of our own lives, even as your own children forgive us. And Father, would you open up our ears to hear from the King? Would you soften our hearts to respond to the King's message? Would you open up our minds to understand that He has dominion in over all who we are and all that we have? Would you empower our feet so that we would walk as subjects of the King, beloved, joint heirs in Christ, and yet servants of the God on high? Father, the things that are said that are merely my opinion or that are wrong, may they fall away and be forgotten. We pray that Christ and Christ alone receive glory, and we receive great joy and great challenge. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. You know, I. I, I I'm going to tell you about the way it was in the beginning. And as I do that, I want to tell you why I do this. One of the joys I have of, of preaching God's Word to you, and I tell you it's such a joy and it's such fear at the same time, but it's a joy because I want you to hear and know the story of God. And this is grand story from Genesis to Revelation. So oftentimes when we delve into a book as deeply as we have with 1 Peter, you'll continually see me go back to the beginning Go back to way to Genesis and how God has created all things and continue the story because each one of us is a part of his story, history. And each one of us fits in this grand scheme. So it's important for us to know where do we fit in the big picture? And it's important for us to know where do we fit in First Peter? And that's why you'll continually see me try to unpack the big picture, unpack this small, shorter picture, the, a smaller picture in 1 Peter, so it impacts our lives because it's all God's Word. We see, what we see right from the beginning of Scripture is an incredible, gracious God who created all things out of nothing. Out of nothing, this powerful, all-powerful, all-knowing, great God, creator God, separate from us because of who He is. He spoke, and out of nothing le- leapt into existence all of creation. And what we see very clearly in Genesis 1 and 2, and some of you might read Genesis 1 and 2 and say, why did he tell us the same story twice? What is up with that? Why? Well, really, it's, it's basically this. God tells us his story to tell us in Genesis 1 and 2 that we have been made with great worth. We have been made with great dignity. We have been made with great honor. And because of who we are, because we reflect who God is, he has given us dominion over all of his creation. He has given us authority over all of his earth. Unbelievable. We are different than the animals. We are different than plant life. We are the only things that he recreated to reflect who he is in a unique way. And we are his, what we call, vice regents. We represent him. We represent his reign and rule here. Great news. If you are a man or woman, child, you have reflected who God is. God has created you to have authority. God has created you to have dominion. One of my favorite stories, I love telling the stories, is the story of Adam naming all the animals. What was that all about? Well, there's a couple of important things there. One very important theme that is there as Adam is naming all the animals is that he's realizing that he has no one that's a helpmate and God must make a woman. But there's something else he's doing. When Adam is there naming all the animals, he's showing dominion. He's showing the God-given authority that God has given to him To name all of creation. It's awesome. But equally as clear in the beginning of the book as God has created us is that we are under authority. That we are under God's authority. That we are under God's reign and rule. That we need to follow Him precisely to the letter. And when we don't follow Him, we shall surely die. So we see in the very beginning that man is created uniquely with great dignity. But we also see from the beginning that God's given us dominion. Great news. He wants us to reign and rule the earth. But he's also shown us that we are to reign and rule over the earth under his reign and rule. And ever since we rebelled, we now have it out of order. We still want to reign and rule over the earth. But when rebellion came, we lost the ability to even reign and rule over our own lives. And that's why they're so messy. That's why they're so broken. That's why we can't even get it together personally. That's why Jesus had to come. You see, we're always we we're the A plan, folks. I've said this through First Peter. His children is always the A plan to rule and reign for him, for his glory. Jesus came to make all things new. Jesus came to give us new life. 1 Peter 1.3 would say this, He's caused us by the rich grace and mercy of the Father. He's caused us to be made born again. To be given new life. To be set free. To be restored to how we were originally called to be. And that is represent Him. To reign and rule for Him. To be the salt of the earth. The light of the world. To bring paradise to this world, to take a place like the Garden of Eden where man and God can dwell together and make that whole world inhabitable so man and God can dwell together. You see, we're still the A plan. You see, that's, that's the whole picture of what we are called to do. But it's all under his reign and rule. We read first, uh, we read Revelations 1, uh, verse 5b and 6. And it says this. It says, We've been saved by His blood. The blood of Christ that is washed us clean. We've been saved and made new. And listen, He's given us a kingdom. He's given us a kingdom. We're now a part of His kingdom. Not only that, He's given us a kingdom. He's given us, it says in, in Revelation 1, He's made us priest. What does a priest do? A priest represents God to the people and represents the people to God. And that is who we are. No more offering sacrifices of bulls and goats because Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. But now we represent God. Ready for this? We represent God to this world. Not only that, but we represent this world to God in a sense where we pray for them and we ask God's mercy upon them and that salvation would come to them and that they would be, too, restored. What an incredible picture! or what this means to us and what God has given us with this resonant authority, this dominion. But God still wants to have dominion over all of our lives. And even as Christians, there's still a struggle. Peter tells us about this kingdom in 1 Peter 2, and verses 9 and 10. And let's, let's go back there and picture who we are with authority but under authority. Picture who we are in Christ, made new and yet made new to do His work. Under authority, but given authority. An incredible picture that Peter paints in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. He says this, Of those of us who are His. But you are a chosen race of all of God's creation, all that is His. He, for some reason, according to His purposes, has set us apart as a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, each and every one of us. It's not just that I'm the priest, or the elders are the priests. Every single one of you who has been washed in the blood of the land, every one of you who is a born-again Christian, we together now have direct access to God. We together now represent Him to all the, the people. We are a royal priesthood. Not only are we a chosen people, a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation, unbelievably a people for God's own possession. Why do we have all this great title? Why do we have all this great authority? Listen, so it's this, so we can be under authority so that you and I may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, what we got to realize, first and foremost, is this, that we are his. We are his fully, completely. My brothers and sisters, listen, we're his because he's created us. We're his because of his creation. We're His because He's purchased us with His own blood. It's better than silver and gold. He's purchased us with the blood of Christ. We're twice His, created His, recreated to be His in Christ Jesus. And given these grand titles, He says, you know, Orangewood, listen, you're a chosen race. You're a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God. You're a royal priesthood. We can get all puffed up. Say, wow, look at who we are in Christ. But we can never forget that we are still under His rule and reign in all things. To Him be dominion in all things. Jesus must have reign and rule over all of our lives. He must have complete dominion. Now listen, complete dominion to a king, when you bow to a king who is more powerful, but thank goodness benevolent, You you must bow all that you have, all who you are, must be bowing to that king And somehow we live in a culture that's lost this motif, this understanding of king and kingdom. But we can't lose it because it's so biblical. Here's what Peter says. All dominion, all resident authority is His. He has a right over everything of who we are. Everything of who we are, He has a right to. Everything of who you are, your job, your family, uh, your money, all of who you are and all of what you have uh, should be surrendered over to Him. Jesus must have reign and rule over our lives. What does it mean being under His reign? Well, it means this. Being under His reign means that God gets the glory. I love what 1 Peter 4 tells us in verse 11. To God belongs. To God, it is His. It is His right. It is His right that we give Him glory. It belongs to Him. Let me tell you what glory means. Glory really can mean brightness or illumination. But really it's praise and honor. Uh, it's, it's worth. And it says this, To God belongs all the praise. To God belongs all the honor. To God belongs all the applause. All the attention. All the worth. It belongs to God. So unbelievably, God has called us to Himself. He's washed us clean. He's made us a part of His kingdom But all that we have, all that we own, should cause this world to see Him. Should cause this world to sing His praises. And heaven forbid, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that we ever stand where God alone should stand. And that is receiving glory, receiving honor, receiving praise. That is for Him and Him alone. That's why we say this at Orangewood, for Christ and His kingdom. It's not about us. We must continually be reminded because we still have sin uh, in our bodies and we still wrestle with dominion and we've got to continually be reminded that it's for His glory. Orangewood, all that we do, all who we are, all that we have, has to be turned over, turned around and reflected back to Him because to Him all glory belongs. That's who our great God is, and we got to make sure that all that we are, all that we have, is bringing Him glory. Because to us belongs the giving of glory. To us belongs the giving of glory. The Westminster Confession of Faith, Shorter Catechism, Number One. Y'all know it. Anybody know it? What is the chief end of man? <laughs> okay, very good. Or the primary purpose of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We will see that Scripture clearly teaches throughout Genesis to Revelation that we are here, our primary purpose, our number one reason that God created us is to bring Him glory, to bring Him praise, to bring Him honor, to bring Him fame, to bring Him worth. Now we might think, "Is, is that really right of God to create us to be all about Him well, listen, that is doing the greatest thing we can do. He is deserving of all glory, praise, and honor. God would cease being God if he says it's all about us. He would cease being God if he says, give yourself the glory. Give yourself. That's, it's, it's idolatry. And God created us and all that we have and all that we do. God has created us. What is your very purpose? Why are you here on the earth? What are you here for? To give God glory. That's what belongs to us. What belongs to us is his great responsibility to bring him a glory. I love the way Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, whether, whether you're eating or drinking, I mean, is mundane things in life, is eating and drinking, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. I love the reality. what If you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Here's the, here's the point. All of life is important. All of life is important, no matter what you do, no matter what you're doing for your job, no matter where you are in your home, no matter what you eat for lunch, no matter where you're going to go this afternoon or tomorrow. All of life is important. That's good. All of life is important. All of life should be done. The way we raise our kids, the way we interact with our spouses, the way students study for exams and prepare themselves for the future, all that we do should be done for the glory of God. Everything. And the only way we do that is we let him have continual reign in our lives, all of life. And really, I love this, uh, Louis Giglio, uh, a very talented preacher, told a story about who we are. And he, he was saying that we're a lot like the moon. I love this analogy. He said the moon's nothing really than a pile of dust that's kind of ugly unless it gets itself in the right sunlight. And once you get yourself in the right relationship to the Son, you reflect His beauty, and you become beautiful. And I think that's exactly who we are. We were created in dust, but created in His image. And really, all we have to do in our lives is get ourselves in a right alignment with the Son, the S-O-N. And so that we can just reflect His beauty and His glory. That is what God has called us to do. And unbelievably, through this entire book of Peter, we realize that there's a connection between suffering and glory. No one ever would have thought this. No one ever would have thought that the royal priesthood like us, that holy nation like us, like a chosen race like us, like people belonging to God like us, would suffer. But one thing Peter's making abundantly clear is that often, oftentimes God receives maximum glory through suffering. If we ever wonder if that's true, we look at His own Son who brought about maximum glory, ultimate glory, through suffering, even to the point of death, death on a cross. I remember when my sister was first diagnosed with cancer, and I shared this earlier uh, several months ago, that we prayed for maximum glory. We said, God, we want you to get maximum glory through this. We just want you to receive the most praise, honor. We want the fame of Jesus spread because of this cancer. And for us, we knew what that answer meant. That answer meant that we would, she would go into surgery, they'd open her up and say, oh, well, we thought we had cancer, here it's gone. Maximum glory, you have been cured, you have been set free. There is not even a trace of cancer in you. We thought that was maximum glory. We promised to tell the story to anyone who would listen. Well, after a five-hour surgery, that wasn't God's maximum glory. And with cancer still in her body as he showed her up, showed her up it wasn't maximum glory. She just recently came back from Shan's Hospital and they did the uh, CAT scan and the test and, and uh, NSD was a description they gave to her. Is that right, NSD? NED. NED. No evidence of disease. No evidence of disease. Maximum glory. We have no evidence of disease. Amen. But I've been praying for some of you that still have it. You know, I mean, there, there's some that still have evidence of disease and the disease still seems to be growing. But God still gets glory in life or in death because we know the tomb was empty. We know He paid for our sins. Maximum glory doesn't mean the, the absence of pain and suffering and sorrow. To God's glory, sometimes He uses us in the most difficult of situations to give Him glory. And only through Christ can we do this. You see, suffering leads to glory, and it's so too with us. That's what Peter is saying. But being under his rule, he gets the glory. But being under the rule, his rule, he gets control. To be have, to have for him to have dominion forever and ever, it means this: God has control of your lives. Does he have control of your lives? Does he really have dominion? I mean, here's this great one little verse: To him, be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Does he have control of your life? Does he have control of your families? Or are you trying to maintain control? Does he have control of your careers? I mean, look, look through your Palm Pilot or your BlackBerry or whatever you use to say, God, are, do you have dominion here? Do you have dominion over all that I do, all my tasks, all my appointments? Look into your checkbook and say, ask the question, does God have dominion? Does he really have control? Maybe you say, well, yeah, I give him a tenth. I even give him the tenth of the gross. Is that really dominion? No, that's a token. That's good. But does he have dominion over all that you have, all that you own, everything? And look around. We've been blessed with incredible assets. Do we hold them like this, or do we say, God, they're all yours, every one of them? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. How do you want me to invest? I mean, Joe came up here and says, we hope to get 50 to 75 pairs of shoes. I mean, if we can't come up with 50 to 75 pairs of shoes in this place total dominion over everything that we have our finances total dominion over our relationships listen for you some of you single people god tells it very clearly how we should live our lives chastity waiting till marriage does he have dominion over your lives does he have dominion over your relationships your dating relationships does he have dominion over the relationships married people that are with outside the bounds of marriage does he really have dominion Does He have dominion over your future? Are you trusting Him? Does He have dominion over your decisions? Are you coming before Him with all that you have? Does He really have dominion over our kids? God, Thy will be done. He must have control over it all. But there's such great news is as we give Him control, it's the safest place we can be. Because to Him, He deserves all glory, honor, and dominion. And he is good, and he will always be good. And he's the only one who can be in control. The way we give him glory and the way we show him control is offering thanks and proclaiming his excellencies to those who are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And oh, what a privilege it is to be called out of his darkness and into his marvelous light. And now to turn over to him the dominion of my life, the dominion of this ministry, and say it's yours. Do with it as you would like. We're going to spend a few moments in prayer together just saying thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being a kingdom. Thank you for the privilege of being a priest. Thank you for the privilege of being yours. We want to give back to you, and what we're going to give to him today is praise. We're going to start off with Shelly Madden. Uh, Shelly, if you can come forward. Shelly has uh, been an incredible blessing to this church. She's come. Um, She is an incredible cook, and so is her husband. She cooks for our new members. She cooks for our officers. And she recently said that First Peter changed her life, and I asked her to come share how. Thanks for coming, Shelly. Sure. It's good to see you. Thank you.
1: I apologize. I'm going to read because this is kind of an emotional story for me, so I'm not sure I can just stand up here and say it. So um, just bear with me. It's not really long. But it is my testimony to how First Peter has really changed my life and my family's life and marriage. So here it goes. There are so many words of hope and blessing in the book of 1 Peter that it's difficult, if not impossible, for me to label a passage that has in its own transformed my life. However, I can say that before I started studying Peter, I was suffering in my personal life. You see, I'm married to a person who, while an incredibly wonderful, caring man, is not particularly religious. I was young when we married and not really rooted as deeply in my own faith as I am now. I was a fly-by Christian. I went to church on Christmas and Easter, said prayers when I needed something, and then hoped that by being a good all-around person, everything would be right with God. Yet, as my husband's career became more important in his life, I was suddenly left feeling alone, depressed, and isolated. Why was I no longer the center of my husband's universe the way I used to be? What was wrong with me? Is it because I'm chubby? Is it because I'm loud and opinionated and strong-willed? Anyone who knows me knows that I'm not your everyday woman. I love sports, hate clothes, and would rather watch Monaco play Liechtenstein in a game of football, soccer, whatever it is you call it, than actually go to a mall. (laughs) Maybe my husband wanted a woman who was more like that. I came to a crossroads where I could choose to be bitter and angry and find the nearest divorce lawyer, or hmm, maybe I could lean on my parents. Little did I know that it wasn't only my parents that I needed to lean on, but God. You see, I'd never been to an evangelical church before and never delved deeply into biblical passages. Before this year, I never could have imagined studying a single book of the Bible for almost a year. Not ever would this have crossed my mind as possible, and certainly not as exciting. However, the reading of Peter verse by verse has changed me in a way that I never could have pictured a few months ago. I guess it really started to dawn on me during the Mother's Day service with the reading of this passage. Wives, in the same way be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Since that day, I have begun to choose a phrase for the week: from be compassionate and humble, to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. These small phrases have helped me to change the focus in my everyday life. I could never hope to make huge changes in my own personality, which is flawed, if it wasn't for making those small incremental steps that have made me a happier person. I no longer resent my husband. After all, he is a good, moral man who's just sort of caught up in the need to provide me and my family with a lot of stuff. This doesn't make him a bad husband, and it doesn't make me a bad wife. It just makes us different people with different priorities. Peter's small words of encouragement have also changed the way I see myself. I have some medical issues, and I will never be thin. I often put myself down about this and spent many er- many hours crying, thinking I was going to lose my family because I was placing my own insecurities upon the hu- upon the shoulders of my husband, who loved me now and who loved me then when he married me, and still loves me now. I'm a little fatter. He's a little balder. It all even out in the end. However, I took my end to far greater extremes than he did. A little baldness makes men distinguished, I thought. A little fat made me unlovable. However, we're all lovable. None of us is perfect, and in order to see the beauty Christ has given me, I had to open up my own heart to myself. Peter tells us that beauty should be that of inner self and the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. I realized that I needed to get up every morning with a smile on my face, look in the mirror, and be the best that I can be for my husband without loathing the person that God has made me. God doesn't see the size of my booty, but the size of my heart and the love for his son. In all, I guess you could say I've learned from Peter to change my perspective of suffering into one of hope. And this has slowly transformed my, transformed my marriage from crumbling rock to concrete foundation.
0: They've never applauded for me that long. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you. Let me pray for you. And Father thank you for Shelly Madden and Father I thank you that by your design and because of your love for her that you love her perfectly exactly the way she is in Christ that she is truly a chosen person she truly is a royal priesthood she truly is a part of the holy nation the people belonging to God and God I thank you that you would love me enough to allow me to be a pastor to Shelly and a friend to Shelly and Father, I thank You for her testimony and Your grace in her life and the things that You have taught her uh, through First Peter, the things that You've also taught me. And thank You for her willingness to come up and share. And God, we ask that You would bless her, bless her marriage, bless her children. And Father God, may she never forget uh, that she is uh, beautiful in Christ, that she is of great worth. Uh, Lord, that You've gifted her to serve and she's doing it well. Thank You for her in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, Shelly. Thank you. Really, we're going to, uh, now it's a chance for us just to say thank you in prayer. Uh, let me encourage you uh, to to look into your heart this year and say, God, what can I say to give you dominion, to give you glory over my life? And let's spend a few moments in prayer. Let me encourage you, uh, speak loudly. This is going to be a, this is kind of a big room. Um, and if, if guys put something on your heart that you would like to say, Thank you, Father, for... Keep it short so others can pray, but let's spend a, a season in prayer together. Let us pray. Father, we truly have so much to be thankful for. We are incredibly blessed people in Christ. Father, we pray that you receive glory in the next few minutes as we show that you are, have dominion over our lives as King, as Lord as Father, as Shepherd. And Father, that you would be glorified and we'd be encouraged. We pray this in Christ's name. Father, we do thank you so much for just the way you love and the way that you continue to love. And God, the incredible privilege you've given to me to be a pastor to, to people like this. And Father God, thank you. Thank you for continuing to bless and thank you for continuing to reign and thank you for your goodness to us. And, and Father, we ask that you continue to bless Orangewood so that we can be a blessing to others. So as we serve you in the public realm, as we serve you wherever we go, that God, your, you would get glory. You would get praise. That more people would sing the praises of Jesus because he could be seen in our lives. He could be seen as our lives as good and gracious. And Father, we are your vessels. And we are your vessels. We are your A-plan. We are here to advance your kingdom. We are here to make Jesus famous and to sing, how great is our God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.